I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Luke chapter 2 gives us the story. Let me read the first seven verses to you. Luke 2, 1 to 7. It came to pass in those days that when a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Sirius, Sinerius was governor of Syria. All went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. So Joseph went up to Galilee, from Galilee to the city of Nazareth and to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because Joseph was part of the house and lineage of David, there to be taxed with Mary, his wife, who was great with child. And so it was while they were there, the days were accomplished, and she delivered. She brought forth her first son. Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and Mary led him in a manger, for there was no room for them in the end. You've heard the story over and over, haven't you? But look at the people who missed it. They missed Christmas. Christmas, sadly, is a tough season for a lot of folk. There's a lot of emotional strain at, strain at Christmas. It's, there's an anxiety that's unique to Christmas. There are more acts of violence statistically than any other time of the year. The stress of the holidays, particularly a depression of loneliness, marks it's almost intolerable for some people. Or for some, there's panic. You want to see panic? Go to the mall December 24th. You'll see panic. There's an increase in nervous breakdowns during this time of the year. For many, it's sheer bedlam. By the way, the word bedlam came from a corruption of the word Bethlehem. Its history is interesting. In the 1500s, the London monastery, St. Mary's of Bethlehem, became a hospital for the insane. There's a great economic depression, so an in inappropriate idea was to raise money. They could pay a fee and go heckle the inmates or go heckle the patients. Political correctness did not exist in the 1500s. Astonishingly enough, this became one of the most famous tourist attractions in the city. St. Mary of Bethlehem was shortened to, to pronounce Bedlam. The word Bedlam took an referring to the noise and confusion of heckling those that were the patients. So Bethlehem and Bedlam semantically are linked. Times haven't changed. The season of Bethlehem. Are you ready? Come on. Are you really ready? Is everything done? Or in church are you mentally scrolling? I forgot that gift. I got this. I kind of, I got to get that done. Ham's not even close to being bought. The pace of Bedlam hits us. We drown in a, a sea of advertising. And yet we keep going on. I'm convinced many miss Christmas. Because culture says, celebrate the season. Not Christ. We observe the season. Happy holidays. And miss the reality of the power. A newspaper article I saw not too long ago had a two-page two two spread. Man on the street interviews. People giving their opinion, what's the meaning of Christmas? Some are sentimental. Christmas is a time for children and family. Some are humanistic. Celebrate, hum celebrate our fellow men. Some are hedonistic. Party! I was surprised how little the name of Christ appeared in the entire article. What a mess. Bedlam and hysteria. And we missed the simplicity that I just read. The birth of Jesus, the coming of Christ. No wonder so many miss Christmas. It hasn't changed all the way back to Christmas number one, the time of Mary and Joseph. 
People were consumed with other stuff and nearly all of them missed Christmas. And to me, it's striking those that miss Christmas and for the same reason we miss it today. Let me give you a few. You ever consider the innkeeper? Scripture doesn't give us his name. But we know that night in Bethlehem, the innkeeper was confronted by a man and a very pregnant wife. He turned him away. When his fault, there was no room in the inn. So he missed Christmas. But it, it frustrates me a little bit, kind of as an aside. It, he didn't just turn him away. He didn't even offer to help. There was no nurse, no doctor, no midwife, no assistance to Mary at all. Scripture doesn't even place Joseph at the scene. But I'm prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I'm going to guess Joseph was there. But he's a first-time father. How much help really is he? I remember our firstborn, Jonathan. Tammy and I went through Lamaze. And they said, this could take a long time in labor and, and helping her do, do the breathing. And I was more frustrating than a help because it's... <laughs> I started going, we will, we will rock you! <laughs> Women in labor don't have any sense of humor. I was great. On top of that, they said, bring, bring snacks, not for her, but for you, because this could go hours. I got one of those 18 packs of Twinkies. First half hour, they were gone. So I'm prepared to assume Joseph probably was there. But in fairness, how much help is a first-time dad? Mary's basically on her own. No midwife, no nurse, no doctor. And this is not normal. This is, this is out of the ordinary. E even back in that first century, this is not an aboriginal tribe or, or barbaric people that send women in the jungle to have their child. It's really unusual for a woman to have labor and give birth in a stable alone. Yet that happened. Did you ever notice the wording of the text I read? Mary brought forth a child. Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Mary laid him in a manger. There would typically be a midwife there to prepare, clean, wrap the baby, all this stuff. Mary did this on her own. There would also have been a cradle or a basket. There was none. She laid him in a feeding trough. So she's on her own. The innkeeper didn't kind of make arrangements and, and contact anybody, but let's, let's focus on him. His name is not mentioned. In fact, we don't even know what kind of inn he had. The Greek word for inn, the innkeeper, can be translated a lot of ways in our English. A guest room all the way to a hotel. It could have been anything from a bed and breakfast to a, a simple room. In any case, it's full. The hospitality that Mary and Joseph ask doesn't happen. The innkeeper missed Christmas. And think about that for a second. The Son of God could have been born in his hotel. His inn would have been the most famous inn of all time. Every single children's program in every church from then on would be his hotel. Most famous hotel in history. He blew it. He missed it. He was preoccupied. It's the census, as I said, how had to come back to be registered for taxation. And the line of David is huge. Probably more people that swelled into Bethlehem than it ever had. Everyone was back and the place was packed. You couldn't get a hotel room. The innkeeper was busy. There's no indication. I'm frustrated he didn't, he didn't arrange for help. But frankly, there's no indication in the word that he was mean. He was hostile to Mary and Joseph. He was just busy. That's us. Like millions today. We're not, we're not hostile. We're just busy. Souls are consumed with so much activity, so much going on. We don't hate Jesus. And the world doesn't, doesn't hate the church. They're just consumed. Life can be so fast and so busy. Responsibilities, good responsibilities, that we can almost miss Jesus. Then there's Herod. 
This guy is easy to hate. He pretended to worship Jesus, but he was fearful of the one who was called king of the Jews. He feared any competition to his throne. Herod was a paranoid old man. Scripture calls him troubled. Translate that from the Greek. It's literally stirred up with panic. He's really troubled. I mean, come on, panic? The innkeeper's problem, preoccupation. Herod, fear. Herod called himself the king of the Jews. That's the title he kept until he died. It's no wonder this paranoid paranoid old man panicked when he heard someone else was king of the Jews. And Herod was ruthless. His desire to hold his throne, he killed anyone, anybody that could possibly ascend to his throne, including his family. Sick old dude. Some of his wives, some of his sons were killed only to protect his throne. His paranoia is legendary, recorded by the, the historian Josephus. He was so afraid, two of his elders, eldest sons might take his throne eventually. He had them both murdered. His entire world rotated around plots and execution. Five days before his own death, he executed his eldest son. He knew there'd be no weeping in Jerusalem when he died. So he had Jerusalem's most respected guy jailed with the order, when I die, kill him. That way they'll be weeping in Jerusalem, even though it's not for me. His whole life was evil, plots, senseless slaughter. Yeah, again, sick old dude. Herod was such a paranoid, evil man about his throne. We could see how he would vent his rage when he finds out a child is born to fulfill prophecy, king of the Jews. He sets his plan to kill the baby. He sends the Magi to go find it. He doesn't tell him, I want to kill him. The Magi worship and never come back. Imagine Herod's rage. Two years go by and he goes, they ain't coming back. I know the area he was born. And this sicko guy sends the army and says, kill every boy two years of age and younger. We'll get him that way. All trying to kill one baby. Jesus, of course, you know, Mary and Joseph had been warned and they're hiding in Egypt when Herod's army descended and slaughtered children. Don't read that too fast. All boys... Two years of age and under. How pathetic. Tens of thousands of moms are trying to hide their babies. Screams of terror and grief. Truly sick. Herod missed Christmas because of fear. So jealous of his throne. Positive somebody could take my throne. Yeah. There are counterparts. There are people today that won't let anybody possibly take their throne. Their throne might be career. Position, power, ambition, plans, lifestyle. They're so ruthless in protecting their throne. They won't let anybody in their life. So fearful of losing their throne, they see Jesus as a threat. They too miss Christmas. And they'll take a day off to commemorate Jesus' birth and cry out to him if they've got a problem. But worship him as king of their life, put him on the throne of their life, that's the ultimate threat. They guard against that at all costs. Their priorities, their morals, their lifestyles. And they're shocked how ruthless Herod is, but they don't realize they're just as ruthless. Like Herod, they miss Christmas. Another group back then that missed Christmas, I see a counterpart today. What about the religious leaders? This shocks me. These are the guys, the chief priests, the scribes. They knew exactly where Jesus was going to be born. They're the theologians. The brains, the religious elite, they knew Micah chapter 5 tells us he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Yet, they miss Christmas. 
and the Jewish people were so looking for the Messiah. He'd been prophesied by Moses all the way back in Deuteronomy 18, even earlier in Genesis with the bruising of the serpents. They'd eagerly waited their deliverer even now more under Rome's crushing rule. He's the hope of the ages, the deliverer, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. They were so hungry for the Messiah, they flocked to John the Baptist just to see, could you be the guy? Could you be the one? Yet these experts, the guardians of spiritual truth, never bothered to walk a short distance to Bethlehem. For the distance between Jerusalem and Bethlehem is pretty close. Had the Messiah come? Is this the one born in a manger? They never bothered. They missed it because of indifference. They had all the facts. They didn't care. If the truth would be known, they really didn't need him. They were self-righteous. They kept the law. They believed they were everything God could already ask of them. Pride is a problem now. Too busy with themselves to consider Jesus. Their own self-righteousness, self-sufficiency. Yeah, they carried out the rituals. But they really had no time for the Son of God. In fact, they went all the way the opposite. When he began his public ministry, they became his adversaries. They hated him and plotted his murder. They didn't want him for a simple reason. They didn't need him. Indifference is a profound sin against Jesus. You're ahead of me. Yeah, look at the counterparts today. A lot of people really don't need a Savior. They're fine as they are. I got a good job. I got a good spouse. My family's doing fine. Everything's rolling. I don't need a Savior. Why should I even walk across the street to a church to even investigate Jesus? It's amazing how effective Jesus was with those that needed him and how ineffective he ended up being with those that didn't. He could do very little with anybody who just doesn't need him. They're self-sufficient. We could really go through our entire life pretending we don't need Jesus. Therefore, never receive him, never have life-changing power. Things haven't changed. The indifferent obviously still exist. The masses are indifferent to the Savior because they don't get the fundamental need for salvation. They're not hostile to Jesus, kind of like those religious leaders were. But they just ignore him. Is that somehow even more damaging? To just ignore him. Because the fact of the matter is, you can have a decent life without Jesus. You can. The problem is, all the events of your life have no purpose. They're not going anywhere. There, you have good events, weddings, celebrations. You have sad events. But those events don't seem to take you anywhere. And in the end game, people feel like, I'm still having a pretty decent life. My life is fine. I don't really need a Savior. They don't know they have a disease called sin that's eating them up inside. And they live without a purpose. Indifference. These people miss Christmas. Let me give you another group back then that missed that first one and have counterparts today. I'm thinking about just the common townsfolk of Jerusalem. Just the folk. I remember Jerusalem to Bethlehem and not a gigantic journey. They all missed it. And who got the word? Shepherds. Of the whole of the Jerusalem community, God chose a band of shepherds to let them be a part of the first Christmas. Now this is intriguing to me. 
back then there was a caste system. And if you'd say, okay, who's low man on the system? Shepherds. They could not maintain a civil uh, ceremonial washings. They couldn't observe religious festivals. I mean, this is before civil rights. Forget that stuff. They weren't allowed. Most shepherds tended to be criminals. Now, there were some that weren't. Obviously, David wasn't, and he was a shepherd. But most of them tended to be criminals. You've got to use common sense here. You have a gigantic herd of sheep worth a lot. And kind of like our old west, there were rustlers that would steal the sheep. Animals would come down looking for stragglers. And all, all, your, all your employee shepherds got is a rod, a stick. Who do you hire? Toughest kid I can find. I'm going to find a linebacker. Who's the toughest kid you can find to be a shepherd? They have other responsibilities. Well, shepherds have to love the sheep and care for the sheep. But you want a tough kid. Many of them are outlaws. If a group of shepherds are coming down the street, you went the other way. And because of that, they had very few rights. They fulfilled a role. Very few privileges. They couldn't even observe religious festivals. They were the bottom rung. That's why I love the fact that Jesus' announcement went to them. Talk about a statement that God is for everybody. The only people that got the official announcement was the bottom rung of their society. The shepherds went and told others. They were the ones to see the baby firsthand. Only the shepherds did not miss Christmas. Everybody else in Jerusalem did. Again, over and over. Bethlehem and Jerusalem, this is not a gigantic journey that you got to plan for. It's really easy here he is. I mean, come on. This is the fulfillment of our hopes, our dreams, our prayers. And they missed it. How could this important city miss that first Christmas when it's so close to them? The answer will surprise you. I'll tell you next week, no. Religion. Israel is the hub of religion. Excuse me, Jerusalem is the hub for Israel. The temples there, these are extremely religious people. They're consumed with rituals, feasts, sacrifices, ceremonies, uh, preoccupied with the religious washings. They were so religious, they missed Jesus. They were more interested in being religious, keeping the rules, than really knowing Jesus. Caught up in externals. I love my church. Well, that's good. I love being a part of the church. That's good. I pray periodically. That's good. I know the religious stuff to do. I'm really religious. Is it possible that we, without realizing it in a subtle way, have substituted religious to Jesus? These folks were so interested in their form and their rules, they really didn't know Jesus. They had a great knowledge of biblical stuff. They'd been to Sunday school. They knew the stories, but they didn't have the peace of an actual relationship. One of the most damaging aspects of the spread of the gospel has been religious people. So religious, so good rule keepers, we just don't know Jesus. Religious activity does not mean righteousness. And Satan all through time has used religious people who mean well, who keep the ceremonies, but they're frankly a long way from a real relationship with Christ. The people of Jerusalem, they missed Christmas because they were really religious counterparts. Let me give you one last group to consider. This is not the birth, but we got to throw them in. The people of Nazareth. Jesus born in Nazareth. Remember, this is not his hometown. Joseph and Mary had to go from their home over to here to, for the taxing junk. Now we got to go back home. His home is a place called Nazareth. 
The last people are the folks of Nazareth. Nazareth is the ultimate low-income area. Now, that's being kind. The word you don't like to use is ghetto. It's a ghetto. The difference between the culture, Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Nazareth, it's crude. It's uncultured. It's uneducated. It's a community that you do not desire. John, the, I mean the loving John, showed his own prejudice. John 1.46, when he finds out Jesus, the Messiah, came out of Nazareth, what does this guy say? John chapter 1, verse 46, look it up. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's the prejudice they had against the community. Jesus, in his ministry years, returns back as Messiah. And the synagogue was filled with rage. They ran him out of town to kill him. These people knew Jesus best. He grown up with them. He lived among them. That's what I call missing Christmas. That's what I call missing the Messiah. Their problem, way too familiar. They knew him too well. I mean, they watched him grow up as a carpenter's kid. The Messiah, isn't that Joe and Mary's kid? You know, as a teen, he did my table. He's a good carpenter. Familiarity could almost become dangerous. There are kids that were raised in Christian homes that now as adults have rejected. They've heard it all. They've heard all the sermons. They've been through so many Christmas stories, so many resurrection stories at Easter. It's not new. It's not thrilling. It's, for, for so many people, the story of Jesus is a been there, done that. We're going to do it again this year. Jesus saves. That doesn't thrill anymore. Because I heard it in Sunday school all my life. There are people that are so familiar with Jesus. They're the opposite of those who know nothing of Jesus. And that's so dangerous. But in a weird way, it's almost just as dangerous to know so much about him and not accept him. Because familiarity can create boredom. The tragic of, Christians, of Christmas this might be the most tragic of all. Sat through all those services, all those Sunday school classes, and reject. It's just so familiar. The thrill is gone. Jesus saves, forgives you and me of our sins, died on the cross for us, came and walked this earth amongst us as a, as a baby born in a manger. That should just blow us away. But the problem is, familiarity. So the, the five people that I think really miss Christmas that frankly we have to guard against, could, 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 could we possibly be locked in and begin to doing that behavior? The innkeeper was preoccupied. Herod feared losing his throne. The religious leaders had no need of Jesus. People of Jerusalem had religion. Nazareth was familiar. Guard against it. Be thrilled again this year. Don't miss the real Christmas. Don't miss the thrill of the truth. Don't miss the thrill of the story. Be thrilled again. Let's stand together. I just have a word of prayer with you. Father, it's not just a story. It's a series of events that affect our lives every day today. Thrill us. 
Maybe we've been in the church for decades and we've been through decades of Advent. Okay, thrill us again. Remind us again. My Savior is here. May there be a sense of your presence that overwhelms us. And Father, we praise you. And we thank you for your presence in our worship today. And there may even, even be some that your Holy Spirit has spoken to and said, you, you are preoccupied. You are living your life in fear of losing your throne. You're living your life and not needing me anymore. You've gotten so religious or you're bored. Convict us, maybe even now with the sweetness of your spirit in this place. It's coming alongside and we have the chance to say, God in heaven, I am that person. Forgive me. I want to be so close to you. Forgive me. I thank you for the sweetness of the presence of Christ as we worship together today in the holy name of Jesus, my Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. Next week is the kids program. It's going to be a lot of fun. Again, thank you. We'll see you next week.